This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. We are right at the business end of the NFL season now. The conference championships are up next and soon we'll know who is battling it out for Super Bowl 54. He's been with me all season, so you should know by now who's helping analyse the odds for this weekend's games. It's Adam Chernoff. Ben, how's it going? Going very well, thank you. How was last weekend for you? Was it a bit better than the weekend before? Saturday was an absolute train wreck, and Sunday was as good as it ever gets. So, ended up in the green, uh, but it was awfully grim after Saturday uh, wrapped up with Baltimore and Tennessee falling short of the total. That sounds pretty reflective of the season as a whole. That's very accurate. Right, so we uh, we changed it up a little bit last week. We did a, a recap of the games from the weekend, and I'm assuming you're happy to do the same again today? Let's do it. Cool. So first we had San Francisco 49ers winning 27-10 to against the Minnesota Vikings. Pretty much about that impressive defensive performance from San Francisco. The Vikings were keen to pass the ball, but it didn't really work out for them. And a century game from Tevin Coleman helping the 49ers to, to what seemed like a pretty straightforward win. Is there anything worth noting in this for you? Not a, not a whole lot. We talked last week here about how the matchup that worked out extremely well for Minnesota going into New Orleans was not going to be the same case going into San Francisco. And almost every single thing that they were able to do uh, turned out as such. So it, it was not something that necessarily surprised me within the result. Um, and quite frankly, it probably could have looked a little bit worse for Minnesota overall. They got that blown coverage and were the benefit of that earlier in the game. And then they got the the turnover just before halftime that led to the field goal. But otherwise, this was a unit that was completely shut down by the 49ers defense, which, I mean, that front seven, we know it's been fast all year, but my goodness, were they flying off the line of scrimmage at the snap every single down. So um, was interesting to see how well-prepared San Francisco was heading into that game. We'll go from one that was pretty straightforward to one that wasn't. Obviously, the, the big shock of the weekend came. Tennessee Titans beat the Baltimore Ravens 28-12 to on the road. I think the, a lot of people know that the Ravens' performance was a lot better than the box score suggests, but a big chunk of luck and another massive game from Derek, Derek Henry got the Titans the win. I think judging them purely on results, which a lot of people tend to do, the Titans have made a few people look pretty silly this season, probably myself and you included, if we're honest there. But perhaps you can explain why this was why it was another game or another example of them not really playing well, but still getting the win. Yeah, it was another case we talked about on the show last week, saying that if Tennessee was able to get the Ravens into third and fourth down, that's where Tennessee had a chance to win the game. And the Titans are the 28th ranked defense on first and second down. However, they were able to force Baltimore into four different fourth down situations. And Tennessee forced a turnover on downs on all four of those plays. So it wasn't necessarily a question of a great team effort all around from the Tennessee Titans. It was just them overachieving on those late downs where they've been a top 12 defense for the course of the season. So Baltimore, by far and away, the most successful team on third and fourth down when it comes to throwing the football as well as running it. And we saw the Ravens go 0 for 4 and fourth down, and that really flipped the game. But if we look deeper into the box score, uh, the Baltimore Ravens gained 230 more yards than the Tennessee Titans. They only punted once 
and went one and four with the red zone. They had eight different drives that stalled and ended up without points inside the Tennessee 35-yard line. So from a output standpoint, it's a game where Tennessee really didn't deserve to be competitive in any right, but because of how things played out early and how every high-leverage situation went the favor of the Tennessee Titans, they were able to get out with a win. And whether you want to credit that to um, a lot of luck or whether you want to credit that to a Titans team performance probably will sway you into how you look at the game coming up this week in Kansas City. And now obviously Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens are, are out of the running this year. They're, they're a really good football team. Is there any part of you that's already thinking ahead to next year and potentially what they could, what could, what they could achieve? Absolutely. And I don't think that it's a stretch to not look at them as title contenders. I think it's certainly them in KC coming out of the AFC again next year. You look at all the talent that Baltimore is able to retain with the contract structure that they have. Uh, it sets up extremely favorably for the Baltimore Ravens uh, in 2020. And I think that a lot of the negativity surrounding Lamar Jackson, who went for over 500 plus yards between passing and running, against the Titans. So you're looking at a lot of people deeming it as his worst performance. Is this playoff Lamar really a real thing after back-to-back years with terrible performances in the playoffs? Uh, But this was still a game where Jackson had an enormous output overall. It just wasn't realized on the scoreboard. So a lot to be positive about for Baltimore going into next season for sure. Right, so now we can move on to the game to watch from the weekend, probably the game to watch from the entire season. Kansas City Chiefs 51-31 to 31 against the Houston Texans. Five minutes in, was it? The Texans were 14-0 up, 21 points up by the end of the first quarter, and then it seemed to, I think they got a 24-point lead, and then the Chiefs decided to turn up and play. Four minutes in that second quarter to get back to 24-21. And then, I mean, second half wasn't as crazy as the first, but the fact that the game ended 51-31, it's, it's just quite remarkable. A, a difficult one to do it, but can you break that one down for us? Well, I, I think this is the best way to describe how it worked out. Uh, I was really heavy on Kansas City in this spot, and the wife was in the kitchen, and I sat down on the couch, I was watching the game, and after the, or the Texans went up 21 nothing, which, like you said, was... Just over six minutes into the game, I walked up and went to the kitchen. The wife looked at me. She said, why do you look like you want to punch someone? What happened? And I said, well, I just think I lost, I just think I lost another big one this season. It's getting pretty frustrating. She's like, but didn't the game just start? How could you have already lost? And I started laughing. And I was, I was like, she, she doesn't get it. And um, clearly, she was on to something when uh, she was mentioning how early it was because we saw the most pass-heavy team in Kansas City a very accurate illustration of why passing is much more efficient than rushing as they were able, the Texans by getting that early lead almost turned Kansas city into the most dangerous team. They can be forcing them to pass, but certainly a couple breaks went the way the Kansas city chiefs to get that comeback. But the interesting thing was in, in like group chats that I'm in and different discussions for NFL betting and odds in the first quarter, everyone, I think rightfully thought that that game was dead. And by halfway through the third quarter, the conversation had already switched to what is Kansas City going to open against the Tennessee Titans next week. So this was a spot where usually if you see a comeback of this magnitude, which happens very rarely, uh, it's it, it comes away with the team that wins being viewed as extremely fortunate. And I think that in the manner that Kansas City won this game, there's not a lot of that because they ended up just dominating the final three quarters 
of the game and really limiting the output of Houston overall to minimal to next to nothing. So uh, it was interesting to see how that played out and also interesting to see a bit of the perceptions that carries out of this game and is now shaping the markets this week against Tennessee. So um, fun game, good result, but um, certainly incredible to see KC come back in that manner. And, and you have to wonder, like those first two drives where they had dropped passes, on the second drive, that pass uh, to Hardman, that could have gone for a touchdown, I think, quite easily. He just had one corner to beat. On the first drive, the drop by Kelsey, you don't know what that drive ultimately turns into, but this game could have looked a lot different if not for those two initial drops and then those two teams, two plays on special teams. It sounds obvious, but you wonder how many points does Casey ultimately hang if it goes a little bit different direction. But it was a, it was passing offense that got whatever they wanted all game at nearly nine yards per pass. So you're big on them pregame. Did you get anything down in play or was it just one that you were sat there sweating on it? Well, I was looking and taking it initially, but the in-play prices were so short. I mean, even when they were down, when they went down 14 nothing, Casey was still a field goal favorite, which really reflects the market sentiment on the team. Uh, when they went down 21 nothing towards the end of the first quarter, the best price that I saw was Casey plus four and a half, and that was up for a very short period of time. And so the market never really flipped. And I think that brings in an interesting notion of not only how we see some of the prices reflected pregame and the liability linger in and carry over to how prices are shaped in play, but also the time decay of NFL where scoring early and scoring a lot early doesn't necessarily move the price as much as it would as when you're seeing scores in the second half. So from an in-play betting standpoint, I mean, on a money line basis, the highest price I saw in KC was right around two to one. And then they started scoring so quickly that that game flipped um, right away to the point where there wasn't like a huge advantage. Then even at halftime, uh, the halftime point spread, if you're looking at what that was, Casey opened minus seven and a half, they were up four. So the halftime spread, if you were to throw an adjusted number compared to the pregame price, uh, was a point and a half more than where the point spread closed at minus 10. So the window for in-play betting, not only was it extremely small and the price short, uh, but it only lasted for just a couple of minutes. So as crazy as it looks, wasn't really the best and most advantageous game to take advantage of in play. Then just to round off the divisional round, we had the, the Green Bay Packers 28-23 over the Seattle Seahawks. I think we can safely say this one was a little less dramatic than the previous game. Uh, it went pretty much the way most people were expecting, and indeed the market was expecting. Green Bay covered, saw a few more points than maybe the market suggested, but... In terms of moving forward for the conference championship and maybe war, maybe more, what are your your key takeaways from this game? I don't know how I feel about either of these teams and what they put forth on the field. It was another weird spot where Green Bay outgained in yards per play, outgained in total yards. They won more than half of their games in the regular season where they were in the same situation, outgained yards per play and outgained in total yards. So it was a very Green Bay-esque game for what we've come to know from them and the same thing can be said for Seattle like it's hard to take anything away in terms of ratings or pricing from either of these performances because it's exactly what we expected to happen the game script for Green Bay is extremely real and Seattle when they were forced to pass became much more efficient than when they were still trying to sort of establish any resemblance of a ground game which didn't turn into much for them overall although it did get them uh, with the help of Russell Wilson over that hump who led the team in passing as well as rushing, running for 64 yards. So they did break the century mark, but to no avail. But it was just, it, it was a weird game overall. It worked out, uh, got over the total, which was great. Both teams perfect in the red zone. 
which for Green Bay, uh, letting Seattle be perfect in the red zone potentially doesn't bode well going into San Francisco. Uh, but this is something we've seen from Green Bay for the course of the season. So really par for par for the course, to use a golf analogy for Green Bay going forward. And how fitting would it be if you get all these good numbers throughout the season? It doesn't turn into your doesn't turn into a winning bet as maybe as it should, and then you you scrape a futures ticket with the Green Bay Packers going to the Super Bowl and winning it. It'd be the icing on the cake. Yeah, <laughs> it would it would be something that's for sure. Right, so now let's move on to our games. You ready to get into these? Let's do it. Cool. So we've got the Green Bay Packers at the San Francisco 49ers. Barely seen any movement here, and the market seems fairly balanced. Pinnacle opened up at San Francisco minus seven and an over under of 45. San Francisco have edged out to minus seven and a half, and the over under is still on the same mark of 45. I spoke to the traders about this one. They're obviously happy with the numbers they put up. They did say a lot more money is going to be coming in closer to post, so that will obviously be the real test of, of how strong these lines are. In terms of the matchup, we talked about how the 49ers game worked out at the weekend and it's, it's kind of been the story of their season so far. Very consistent, versatile offense. They can beat teams going through the air on the ground and they're obviously backed up by a very, very good defense. Probably the best there is against the pass and pretty decent against the run as well. For, for the Packers, it's, it's going to have to be one of those big Aaron Rodgers games, isn't it? If they're going to stand a chance of winning this one. We also know Aaron Jones can be dangerous and he could be used to target the 49ers' one potential weakness on the run. These two met up not so long ago, week 12. It was one the Packers want to forget. 37-8, to that one finished in favour of the 49ers. Just what can the Packers do to stop that happening again? Is is there a case to, to be made for them at, at seven and a half points? I, I, I'll try and make one. It doesn't necessarily I'm getting involved with them. Um, but I think that this is an interesting conference final week because we have two very recent matchups between both of these teams that were played. The Titans Chiefs played in week 10. These two teams played in week 12. And those final scores are going to dictate a lot of what people think about these games and how they approach the betting market in both of these games. And so the if we look back at that game, right, the 49ers had a couple more injuries on defense, which I'll touch on in a second. But that price was three and a half for San Francisco. And there was continuously support for the Green Bay Packers in that game. And it kept going three and a half down to three, back to three and a half. And anytime it got to three and a half, it was being bought back for Green Bay. And something that I would encourage people listening to the show to do is go back and listen to our episodes from that week or your favorite NFL show and just listen to how people were talking about that game in that situation. Because knowing how people handicap that game is much more valuable than knowing the final score in those games. Because when you look at the NFL specifically, rarely will a team get beat and beat to the extent that the Green Bay Packers were beaten by the 49ers in the same manner on consecutive games within a season. It's such an adjustment league with so much film and tape and analysis that teams are able to adjust, especially with, um, a delay between when the games are played, when they're not consecutive um, spots, when you have time to put forth another game plan and you're already through that experience of playing them once, it's you're going to have to do something very different. And the points that were really made for the initial handicap that are still valid today was the Green Bay Packers have a couple things working in their favor against this 49ers defense. The first is that the Packers offensive line ranks number one in the NFL in pass block win rate, which means they're, by the ESPN metric, which looks at how long can offensive linemen hold their block for 2.5 seconds or more, 
Green Bay is number one in that category. What we know about the San Francisco 49ers is they blitz at one of the lowest rates in the NFL, but they get pressure at one of the highest rates. So they only bring four guys on a pass rush most frequently, and that's when they generate their pressure, and they drop seven guys back into coverage. And that's a very different look for a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. It's very different from what other teams that generate a lot of pressure do who rely on the blitz to get that pressure and sustain it. San Francisco is able to do it in a way where they only bring four guys, have a lot of success doing it. And we've seen two veteran quarterbacks this year in Jared Goff and Russell Wilson take on this 49ers defense two different times. And so if you look at Jared Goff, his first game, 1.7 yards per pass and a 29% success rate. In game two, that jumps all the way up to 7.0 yards per pass and a 47% success rate. So he went from as bad of a performance as you'll ever see to well above league average in terms of success rate and yards per pass. Similar situation with Russell Wilson, 4.9 yards per pass in his first game, a 49% success rate. In his second game, 5.4 yards per pass and a 52% success rate. So another spot where a veteran quarterback facing this defense for the second time within the season steps up and puts together a much better performance. And that really talks and speaks about how when you're playing a team for the second time, it's really difficult to put forth the same game plan two times in a row and beat your opponent. Aaron Rodgers, his first game, 1.9 yards per pass and a 29% success rate. So dead equal with Jared Goff. And that offensive line was beat up. The running game never got going for Green Bay. They still got to the near the 100-yard mark, but it was just ineffective in how they were able to use it. And the Packers were consistently punting in that game, if not for the Aaron Rodgers fumble on a couple, uh, the opening drive as well. He gave that ball up, set San Francisco up with a short field, but it was just a dominating performance by the 49ers. So what does that look like in this spot? We've seen Other coaches put together much better game plans the second time around. Matt LaFleur in press conferences says that he's spending three days this week reviewing what happened in that first matchup and is trying to adjust off of that. So I would suspect that we're going to see something very different from Green Bay. And the question is, how do the 49ers adjust to it? They've got Shanahan and Salah as the defensive coordinator, like two of the best coaches in the NFL right now. There's no question about it. This 49ers team absolutely dominant. Um, But I think that we see a much better showing from the Packers offensively. And the other two things that the Packers have going for them is in that game last week against the Vikings, in my opinion, Garoppolo had the worst passing game of his career. And it was very much disguised by the 49ers receivers who were catching absolutely everything thrown at them, specifically all of the throws that were behind receivers as well as some of the ducks that floated out to the sidelines that they were able to grab as well. So it was a game where I think Garoppolo's getting a bit of credit for his 11 completions. We saw how little trust Shanahan had in him down the stretch in the second half where he was consistently putting together drives that were extremely run heavy. Uh, Garoppolo for the season as well, the one spot where he really struggles is against pressure. And the Packers, if they do one thing well defensively, it's generating pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So all of these things existed in the first matchup, and none of them came to fruition. I think it's another spot where everything still sets up in the same manner for Green Bay. I'm not sure that I make this an expensive 7.5. I would be much closer to 7. I haven't taken Green Bay 
I don't think I'm necessarily going to have anything on this game because anything from a numbers perspective points the way of San Francisco. And it's more of a fade of Green Bay than anything else um, for a lot of people who are just betting on the numbers. Um, I, I don't know. It's it, I don't think it's as one-sided as it's being made out to be. And it's just an interesting handicap, but I'm not sure it's the best game overall to bet. Uh, I said there that we know Aaron Jones can do some damage, but it obviously doesn't take a genius to work out that, that Green Bay's threat is going to come from Rodgers connecting with Devontae Adams. The 49ers know that. They'll be looking to cut him off. They did a pretty good job of it before. But how much of it goes into, you kind of mentioned there that it might be a different game plan. From Green Bay's perspective, that's they've been so heavily reliant on that kind of tactic before. Are they going to be looking to free him up or is it a case of identifying alternatives that can hurt the 49ers while maybe attention is elsewhere on like Devontae Adams well I think that certainly Aaron Jones is going to have to play a part like the Packers are going to have to have some resemblance of balance very early on to sort of negate the pass rush of the 49ers they're also really going to have to get involved with with some play action as well Um, anytime you use play action it really negates opposing pressure and slows down the pass rushers forcing them to sort of respect the play fake. Um, So if the Packers are able to find some sort of balance and use some play action, I think that they're going to have some success moving the football through the air against this defense. Um, They're certainly going to potentially have to look at tight ends. Jimmy Graham could have to be a big part of this, finding space over the middle and sort of softening up routes outside. But um, they're going to have to come up with a very different game plan uh, than what we've seen them in the last couple of weeks and especially what we've seen them in the first game. So someone's going to have to step up outside of Adams uh, in terms of a receiver and make a couple big plays to to give this offense a chance. And is there potential if you're, so you sat down, you're watching the game, you've got, if you do have pregame bets on, they're obviously locked in. Is there a chance or how early on can you sort of see the the different game plans kind of be borne out? And is there then potential to, to kind of look at the market and maybe in play kind of adjust and, and look for other alternative bets. If it's something that tactics might lead to a lower scoring game, for example, you're then looking towards the total. Is that is that an approach you might take? I, I would circle two things if you're watching this game. The first one would be the Green Bay scripted plays. So specifically the first 15 plays that they run offensively, where they've been far and away the number one best team offensively in the NFL. Matt LaFleur is extremely good at putting together the first one or two drives of the game. We saw them go right down the field against Seattle, their best drive of the game, to score the touchdown. But this is a team that continuously puts up 7 to 14 points on those drives, one of the best first-quarter scoring teams, uh, but the best scoring team overall in those first 15 plays. So if you're watching Green Bay, I wouldn't overreact early because this is a team that continuously scores very quickly, and then they fall off of a cliff after that in terms of their output. For San Francisco, the one thing that I would watch is they're always a run-heavy team, but we've seen Shanahan a number of times this year go away from Garoppolo when you can sort of tell that his passes aren't all there. And we saw it against Minnesota. Some of the passes he was throwing out to the sidelines were wobbly. Um, They were looking like ducks floating out to the sidelines. And once... You could really see that on TV, and then you could see a, a noticeable shift in the play calling. So if we see that happen as well, especially early on, um, you could potentially be looking for an under in play because if San Francisco's running the football more, if this game is still competitive, 
and Green Bay can use Aaron Jones out of the backfield, that'll slow the game down for sure. So you really want to watch the script for Green Bay and not overreact to that and then see how willing Shanahan is to let Garoppolo throw the football because that's really going to play a big part in this game. So those are two things I'd watch for when betting in play. Right, so now we've got Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs. Another one, obviously, with a, a lot of games that we cover. Late money is going to be the key here. Opening numbers with Kansas City minus 7.5 and a 51-point over-under. No change on the handicap, but the total has gone up, interestingly, to 52.5. Again, spoke to the traders. They see, they see this one the same as everyone else, I think. The, the performance or potential performance from Derek Henry is causing them a bit of a headache. Another big game from Kansas City on offense is expected, but... But Henry obviously has the potential to keep things close. Most people seem to agree with that, given what we've seen so far from the market. But again, when those high limit betters come in later in the week, we might see some more interesting movement. Um, obviously, if your your main weakness is against the run, I think the last thing you want to do is come up against a team that are happy to just keep handing the ball to a running back that's put up 195, 182, 211 rushing yards in his last three games. I think go back a few weeks and the Texans did show that Henry could be contained, but then he did also run them for 211 yards two weeks later. Um, Go back to week 10, Henry had another big game with 188 rushing yards against the Chiefs. Can they come up with a game plan to to make the Titans go through the air or is this just going to be a case of back and forth? Mahomes opening up a weak Titans pass defense and then Henry just running the ball the other way. How's it How's it going to play out, do you think? Well, there's two things that Kansas City needs to do. And the first one is score because the more points you put on the board, the more difficult it is for the opponent to run. So they're not going to have a problem doing that, which we'll touch on in a second. And the second thing I would say is they need to shut down the play-action pass. If Derrick Henry wants to run for 285 yards in this game, let him do it. Just let him. It, it doesn't matter because there's going to come a time where the Kansas City Chiefs have a lead and Tennessee has to move away from the run game. We saw in the first game of the playoffs. Tell that to the Patriots, Adam. Well, that, they were. I mean, you look at them. They had a first and goal at the one, and then they didn't score a point in the second half. If they convert the first and goal or they score a single point in the second half, they win the game. And on one side, we see Derrick Henry with this historic performance, they scored 14 points. Against the Baltimore Ravens, it's another historic performance. On drives where he ran the football, they scored 14 points. Like, you can put up these huge numbers rushing, and it doesn't mean that you have this dominant offense. And I think this game is going to be a perfect example having the most pass-heavy team on one side versus what has become the most run-heavy team on the other side. There's all these people doing this great work in analytics in regards to the NFL that's showing how ineffective running the football is when compared to the pass. This game is that argument that people have been spending the last years on building in the second biggest playoff game of the entire year next to the Super Bowl. So this is, I mean, everything is on the stage here to illustrate why passing wins in the NFL. Like we saw against the Houston Texans, the Chiefs were down 24 And they came back within the matter of 13 minutes to take the lead and ultimately control that game. But look, this, again, if if Kansas City can score, then it's all about stopping the pass. And I think that that's the one spot where Casey is more vulnerable than the run because they can let Henry run for whatever he wants. But if Tannehill gets hitting bigger passes down the field, that's where this becomes problematic. And the loss of Juan Thornhill for the Chiefs does leave them vulnerable deep down the field over the middle. We saw 
Houston able to exploit that a couple times in that spot. Um, as, as bad as their points output looked outside of those two defensive scores, Watson was able to move the football on this Kansas City secondary. And that, to me, is the one concern coming into this game that Kansas City needs to tighten up a little bit. This is a much improved secondary from what we've seen from Kansas City early in the season, last season as well. I, I think that it's getting disrespected a bit in that regard. But this is a Kansas City defense that really needs to shut down those big passes uh, because if Tannehill gets rolling in this game, then it becomes it becomes a shootout back and forth. If they can stop that, then they can control the game and really do whatever they want. And we're looking at this spot um, from a case of Kansas City and what they do on first down where this could potentially play into the Titans' hand a little bit. KC, 29th on the season at defending rushes on first and second down. Tennessee, as we know, loves to run the football on first and second. So if Tennessee gets rolling and Kansas City can force them into those third down spots, it's going to become another situation like we saw against Baltimore where you're looking at these high leverage third and fourth downs for Tennessee. They can convert them, then they can keep drives going. But as we know, when you have these huge performances in those spots, it's not necessarily something that continues to hold. We also look at Tennessee within the red zone, eight for eight, perfect 100%. Um, so far in the playoffs and as well as including that game against the Houston Texans to end the season. So they've converted all of their red zone drives that they've generated in the last three games that they have played. And this is a Titans defense that's held New England and Baltimore one of seven from the red zone. But it's a Titans defense that was uh, third worst in the NFL during the regular season for red zone defense. Red zone, a lot of luck is involved. When you get inside the 20s, uh, just because of the field position, you need plays to work out when you're getting there. But it's it's a really um, stat that's based a lot on luck. And we've seen the Titans very good offensively, very poor defensively. But all of a sudden, their defense is playing well above the rate that they've put forth for the entire season. So that's another little interesting wrinkle as we look at this. But for me, Kansas City, uh, fifth best passing team on first and second down. Tennessee. Second worst pass defense on first and second down. If we look at this Titans secondary as a whole, they've allowed 48% of passes to great success fall over the course of the regular season. That was against the ninth easiest schedule of opposing passers. This is a huge step down in class for Kansas City, even from Houston in terms of the secondary that they're facing. If you thought the Texans had a difficult time matching up against the Chiefs receivers and Patrick Mahomes, Titans are going to have a much bigger challenge on their hand. And the Kansas City Chiefs did that whole comeback. They handed the ball off twice in two and a half quarters. Might not be a spot here where against the Titans defense is much better defending the run, where Kansas City is really forced or wanting to establish any sort of ground game. This can just be another passing onslaught from the Kansas City Chiefs. I like them first half. I like them full game. I think this game gets ugly, and KC wins and covers pretty comfortably overall. So just to ask a, a similar kind of question to, to what I did for the previous game, is there a potential here where you're you're looking for the early part of the game? And as you said, if if Kansas City get ahead early, it, it can shift how how both teams approach the game. It might force the Titans through the air. Is there potential then that it's not just about Kansas City covering, but a potential blowout and an opportunity maybe to take take the handicap in play or something like that if there's a bigger lead earlier in this game i would probably lean more towards the over because of what it's going to force these teams to do and i i would say that if you're seeing like a double digit lead um, towards the end of the first quarter earlier in the second quarter you might see this game open up quite a bit and it's probably going to be advantageous to have an over 
Um, if this is a spot where Tennessee somehow comes out and for the third straight game on the road is able to get an early lead in the first quarter, uh, if there wasn't a lot of value in the KC number down 24 to the Houston Texans last week, I can envision a situation where there's going to be a lot of value this week in a game with, with a much bigger handle um, and, and probably an equal liability. But um, I just don't see it being a spot where you're going to find a lot of value with KC. But certainly if Kansas City gets down against this Titan secondary, if KC is really forced to pass more than they're going to, uh, that gets interesting overall. So keep an eye on what kind of number you see. Uh, but if there's any value on Kansas City in play, I would be very surprised. And then to kind of flip the, you were talking about Aaron Rodgers and the the veteran quarterback stats there and how they kind of change their their approach to, to rematches or matchups that happened in the regular season. Does that work the other way almost for like a defensive uplift? So we kind of mentioned Derek Henry and the performance he had against the Chiefs before. Granted, those those rushing yards might not make a massive contribution to the final score, but is it the kind of thing where Kansas City can now go away, think and, and change their approach and how they handle that? Well, in the first game, Derrick Henry ran for 188 yards against the Kansas City Chiefs. During times in that game, Kansas City, well, they held three different leads of at least a touchdown at different points within the game. Tennessee relied on a fumble return of 60-plus yards very late in the second half on a drive where Kansas City was up three and driving to potentially take a bigger lead. Then they had two botched snaps by the Kansas City holder, and the Titans blocked the kick at the end of regulation. So with all of those things working in favor of the Tennessee Titans, Kansas City still had a kick at the end of the game to ultimately go ahead and win. So it was another situation where Derrick Henry did whatever he wanted, and everything worked against the Kansas City Chiefs in favor of the Titans with uh, more situations of just pure luck and the Titans getting bounces. Another very clear illustration of that where um, Kansas City still had a chance to win the game at the end of regulation. If you look into the box score, uh, pretty similar to what we saw at Tennessee against Baltimore where Kansas City was able to put up 530 total yards in comparison to just 371 for the Tennessee Titans. So it was another spot. Kansas City ran 29 more total plays than the Tennessee Titans in that spot. So again, despite Derrick Henry having this enormous output and putting up these crazy numbers, there was still a spot where Tennessee barely snuck out with a victory and needed all of these other bounces to go their way in order to get away with the victory. The Titans converted just two third downs the entire game against the Kansas City Chiefs and ended up with 35 points. So it, it just goes to show how when things are really bouncing the way of the Titans, they can ultimately end up getting it. So from a defensive adjustment performance, I don't think Kansas City needs to do a whole lot difference from what they did in that first meeting where they held Ryan Tannehill to 181 yards passing. Um, that's exactly the numbers that you want to hold them to in this spot. Ideally, if you can get lower, fantastic. We've seen them fail to break 100 in the last two games against the Ravens and the Patriots. But if KC can hold Tannehill to similar numbers to what they did in the first meeting, uh, there's no question that with this venue switch, uh, Kansas City is going to come away with a victory. You want to tap up someone at the Titans, Adam? Get them to put a few bets down for you. They seem to be getting all the luck this season. It's it's insanity, really, uh, to see some of these box scores and how it's played out in favor of the Titans. But um, 
it, it's just and with, like I said, within the red zone, some of the numbers that they're putting up offensively and defensively are just incredible. So I'm uh, going to look a lot different this week, though. Well, that is the end of today's episode. wasn't that long ago we were talking about the excitement of the start of the season. Now we're just one game away from the Super Bowl. Appreciate the time as always, Adam. I'm sure our listeners will benefit from your assessment of the game. So thanks again. Thanks, Ben. One more to go for the big one with the Super Bowl. So season went in a hurry, but looking forward to this weekend and the final big game in two weeks. There we go. And if anyone is interested in betting on the conference championships games, then head to pinnacle.com. Thanks for listening. Good luck with any bets. And please remember to gamble responsibly.